Well, what a great morning to be together. I think I have this on. Yeah, it's on. To uh, study the Word of God together and to think about the truth of what the Lord has us learning. Let's begin our time once again by just asking God to attend to our time and give us understanding of His Word. Father, we thank You for these moments, these opportunities we have each time as a corporate body together, a family, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, ones who will spend eternity together worship and glorifying You. And, and we do that now as we study Your Word, Lord, impress upon us the truths of it, may it change our hearts and our lives, and may we be motivated to walk in obedience as we have been exhorted to already, that we would do that in our own lives for your glory. So be with us, attend to our time, in Christ's name we pray, amen. I'll ask you to take your Bibles as we have studied over the last several weeks and turn in them to the Gospel of Luke. Of course, we are returning to our study of Luke chapter 10, and we are continuing to ponder the reality of the greatness and the gravity of our mission. The greatness and the gravity of our mission as Christians here on this earth. This is what I have entitled this series of messages that we are looking at because of what Luke records for us here in just the beginnings of chapter 10. In the course of the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ as he was here on this earth ministering to the people. He is now sending out others. He has dispatching those who would go out who were disciples of him, and he's sending them out to proclaim him to all of the places that he is about to enter into to go to as he has set his heart resolutely to go to Jerusalem. So he is transitioning from the north up in the Sea of Galilee area, and he's heading for Jerusalem. Why? Because it is in Jerusalem that the eternal plan of God will come to fruition in Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ is condemned and killed as a sinful man, even though he is the perfect God-man come to earth to seek and to save that which is lost, he is accomplishing all that God has planned from eternity past. This is the greatness and the gravity of our mission here on this earth. We are here to proclaim Jesus Christ to all who will hear. This is why God has, has us here for a time. This is, in the words of the Apostle Peter, why we are aliens and strangers here on this earth. This is not our home we belong in heaven because we are God's children, and yet we are here for a time in order to tell others about our King. And that therefore implies what we have already heard this morning, as Tim so rightfully implored us before singing that song, that there are only two responses that we will ever hear when we give a testimony to the gospel. There are only two responses. It will either be heard or it will be rejected. There is no middle ground. The gospel is unbending in its proclamation and its demand. It is, there are not options. It is Jesus Christ or it is no other. It is to be believed in the fullness or it is rejected. And each have their subsequent outcomes. If it is welcomed then there is great rejoicing. When it is welcomed, there is the reality of restoration with God through the forgiveness of sins. But if it is rejected, there is only one end, and that end is eternal woe, eternal damnation. The results of eternal torment and excruciating weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever. An inescapable, an inescapable darkness that is such that it can be felt forever and ever and ever. And so as Christians, as the children of God, we have a great message. We have a great message to tell, and it comes with eternal gravity. 
the last Lord's Day, we began to look at this in Luke chapter 10 as Luke unfolds it for us here. And we have broken it down just for our own understanding into seven elements. Seven elements. We began those last time. I'll just quickly review where we've been and then pick up where we left off. Left off. Element number one was that we need to understand that God has a plan. Verse 1 says, Now after the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two ahead of Him to every city and place where He Himself was going to come. God has always had a plan. God isn't making this up as He goes. This has always been the plan. And we can see it here in the unfolding of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus Christ, by His mission and by Him coming, is saving. And in doing so, He is preparing those who will receive the Word. And so we today can trust that reality. We, we don't need to wonder if God is at work. We don't need to wonder if God is doing what He said He would do. He is working. He is preparing those for the arrival of Himself in their hearts. And He has a plan of which we are part. God has a plan. Like the 70 sent out here, we as Christians are sent out. God says, go into all the world and make disciples. This is our mission. So element one is just that, the plan of God. But element number two is the preparation for the task. And we saw that here beginning in verse 2 when he was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The first part of our preparation is just that. We need to work to cultivate in our hearts a vision for the lost. To see the world for what it is, a place filled with the lost. We are not naturally bent toward that. In our fallenness, and our sinful hearts, our sinful nature, we are not bent toward seeing the world as a place filled with the lost. Sometimes that's just intellectual words in our mind, but it isn't really in our heart. And yet if we fully grasp the hellishness of hell itself, then we would see the world as Christ sees it. Christ looks out at the world and that's what He sees, the lost. He sees it and if we see it like He sees it and if we understand hell for what it is, then not only are we seeing it as Christ sees it, but potentially we won't be so reluctant to share the gospel with others. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is this, do we have a compassion for the lost because they are headed to hell? Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. There's plenty out there that He has chosen to save. It's plentiful, but where are the laborers? Where are those who will do exactly what I've commanded them to do? Where are those who will forsake all and take the message of eternal life to the lost? Where are the gospel presenters? The mass of humanity is on their way to hell. But only a few are working to tell them, it seems. And so Christ looks at the harvest and He says, pray. Pray, beseech the Father. Work, but while you're working, pray. Pray for more workers. Why? Because so many need to hear. So the first part of our preparation is just that, seeing the world as Christ sees it, and asking God to raise up workers for the kingdom. And then Jesus says in verse 4, we'll come back to verse 3 in a moment, but He says in verse 4, carry no purse, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. We looked at that in detail last time. We don't have to go into all the realities of it, but in essence, while you are working, trust God for His provision. Trust God. Don't get sidetracked with the things of everyday life. The everyday life things, yes, God knows you need them, but don't get sidetracked in your mind with all of that. Be about the work of God. Do the work of God. Everyday life will take care of itself. Trust God in the process. God knows what we need, and He will give us what we need. So God has a plan. God gives the provision. 
And then third element was God's precaution. Verse 3, God gives a precaution. Go your ways. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. We said there's no special training needed for us to be able to go and share Jesus Christ. Right? People need to hear the message of Jesus, and each one of us who knows Jesus Christ by faith are an instrument for that work. It isn't a missionary's task who has been sent out by God as a missionary to some place. It is all of our task to share the gospel. You have been truly saved by faith, then you can tell others what Jesus has done for you. But also know this, gospel ministry isn't some kind of pie-in-the-sky endeavor. In other words, there are rarely pats on the back from those whom you speak truth. You are a lamb in a field of wolves, so while you're being like a lamb, be vigilant. Hostility is around every corner. Be vigilant. Persecution is inevitable. But know this, you are protected by the great shepherd of the sheep, and he is accomplishing his work in and through you. God has a plan. He has the preparation. He has given a precaution. And then fourth, God gives provision. God gives provision, verses 5 through 8. And whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a man of peace is there, peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborers worthy of his wages do not keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal those who are sick. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. It's obvious that preaching the gospel brings division. It's obvious. In other words, some receive it, others do not. With reception of the gospel comes peace. That is what we are bringing, a message of peace. And yet with rejection, there is often trouble. There's often persecution. There's often pain. And so Jesus tells those to whom he is sending, remain with those who are receptive to the message. Whatever house you enter, say, peace be to this house. But he says in verse 6, if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. In other words, the gospel has a home with those who desire to hear it. And yet, if the message is rejected, move on. Move on. Go to others. Why? Because God is the provider of those who receive. You cannot manufacture that by some kind of artificial means. You cannot bring about reception of the gospel. It doesn't come by clever arguments. It's not receptive it does it's not made to be receptive by some kind of creative way and comfortable environment that you might manufacture what we do is simply go and speak the truth of Jesus Christ and when we do that we are to trust God for the provision of both those who will be receiving it those who are receptive to it and then we remain with them as long as they will hear we disciple them he says in verse 7, stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you. The laborer is worthy of his wages. Don't keep moving from house to house. God has a plan. He has a provision. And he has given the precaution and provided the provision. And element number five was the proclamation. This is where we ended our time last time. Verse 9 says, heal those in it who are sick, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. We have a gospel ministry. Part of the ministry of those that Jesus sent out in that day, these 70, they had the privilege of healing the sick. No one has that privilege today. None of us have some kind of gift whereby we can go and heal the sick. If we had that, we'd be in every hospital in the land healing all the people and sending them out well. We don't have that. No one has that. 
these were given the miraculous gift as part of their authentication for the authority by which they were saying what they were saying. They didn't have the Scriptures written down and scripturated at that time. We don't need that because we do have them. You have the Word of God right there in your hands, and it is the authority. It authenticates our message. We proclaim the truth found in the Word of God. Nothing more authoritative than that. And so we, just like them, proclaim the kingdom of God. We're telling people what Jesus has done with us, and in doing that, we are saying the kingdom of God has come near to you. We, through our testimonies, are telling people that the Messiah is here, and it is Jesus. He is the Messiah. Stop rejecting. And again, we know there are only two responses. To welcome the kingdom was to welcome Jesus. To reject Jesus was to reject the kingdom of God. And the consequences are severe, beloved. This is what we find being pronounced in verses 10 through 16. We have God's plan... He's given a preparation. He's given a precaution. He gives provision. We have a proclamation to make. And now before us is the pronouncement for rejection. Verses 10 through 16 says this, But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, Even the dust of your city which clings to our feet we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. This is a weighty, weighty message. God has a plan. He has the preparation. He has given the precaution. He gives provision, and so we make the proclamation. We proclaim it to all people. The kingdom of God is near. And if they will hear, we rejoice, and we continue to teach them. We disciple them. But if they reject, there is severe consequences. As believers, we cannot expect. In fact, we are naive if we expect that there will be a welcoming each time we share the gospel. Our Christian experience will show us quite quickly that when we share the gospel, it is not so readily received by all. Those whom Jesus was sending out needed to know that they would not find a welcoming party in every city. After all, Jesus himself was constantly rejected. In fact, you probably remember just a short time before in our study of chapter 9, the Samaritans had rejected Jesus. Beginning in verse 51 of chapter 9, it came about when the days were approaching for his ascension that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers on ahead of him. And they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. In other words, telling them the king is coming, you need to be ready for him, you need to be ready to receive him, and they did not receive him. He was journeying with his face toward Jerusalem. Of 
course, his disciples, James and John, when they saw this, ostensibly they were part of this reconnaissance party. They said, Lord, do you want us to just command fire to come out of heaven and consume them? I mean, they had the heart of Jonah over the Ninevites. Jonah wanted them to just be destroyed. Jesus said, no, you have mercy on them. This is the heart of a Christian, someone who's merciful and yet someone who is totally committed to me. So Jesus says to them here, when a city, when a people do not welcome you, when you go out and share the gospel and they don't welcome you, when they refuse to give you a hearing, then don't just leave that place, but rather you go out into the streets and say to them, even the dust of your city that clings to our feet, wipe it off as a symbol against you. And know this for sure, the kingdom of God has come near. In the ancient world, that was a public way of pronouncing judgment. Of course, you do that today in the streets of this, people just think you're weird. But this was a pronouncement of judgment. This was a warning to them. It was judgment on those who reject the gospel. Wiping feet or or dust from your feet was a, a picture of disdain. It was a warning of divine rejection of them. In other words, God is rejecting you because you have rejected the king. Even as you ought to know this in warning to you that in rejecting the king, you are rejecting God. Know this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. You may call it foolishness. You may say it's ridiculous. You may say you're, you're wacky. You don't know what you're talking about. You're a religious zealot, all those things. Know this, you can call me all of those kind of things. You can say all of those kind of things. But know this, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In other words, you are without excuse. You are without excuse. You have heard the gospel. You know the truth. You're without excuse. And so shaking the dust off was a stark reminder that the greatest of graces is found in the gospel. The greatest of grace given to mankind is found in the gospel. The greatest of graces has come to you And hopefully even then, at the end, even in that demonstration of God, in the sense of God's punishment upon you, and it's on you, and even then when you say the kingdom of God has come near to you, even then one, possibly maybe one, would turn. Now I know we are smart people. Each one of us here can clearly see that Jesus is making a distinction here about judgment. Notice that the eternal judgment is more severe for those who have heard and reject than for those who have not heard at all. I'll say it again, the greatest of graces is in the gospel, and so there is a severe punishment that Jesus Christ delineates here for those who have heard the gospel and reject it, than for those who have not heard it at all. Jesus begins to give examples of this principle by talking about six different cities. Three were Jewish cities, three were Gentile cities. And what is really shocking and stunning about his examples to even the average reader, is that the Jewish cities would receive a more severe judgment in that day. You say, what day? Jesus is referring to the final day, the day of judgment, the final judgment. And this is not words in which we can say, well, but we'll see. We'll see as if it's a possibility Possibly unlikely, but maybe this will happen. No. These are pronouncements made by the very judge who meets out the judgment. This is the judgment of God. And so when Jesus says it will be more tolerable, 
He is speaking with divine authority as the judge. And he is speaking about the level of punishment upon the unbelieving sinner at the final judgment. All of us need to read this this morning. All of us need to hear this with our ears wide open, especially those in our midst who do not know Jesus Christ this day. Do not sit there with a, well, we'll see if this will happen. This is a pronouncement of God upon everyone who rejects. It is that severe. Jesus says, in that place there will be an unending torment upon all who are there. And yet, even within that place, there are degrees of torment. The person who has been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, as all of us are sitting here this very day, and then you reject it, you are bringing upon you a greater and more severe punishment if you continue to reject. To whom much is given, much is required, and why all unbelievers reject the gospel, the degree to which they reject that punishment in their ears will weigh upon them with the equated level of punishment for that rejection. The most severe torment will be for those who have heard, who have had the greatest exposure to the gospel, and they reject it still. And I know what some of us are thinking as we sit here this morning. Well, I wonder where that line is. Because oftentimes we ask the question, what's wrong with it when we do things? We think of sin like that. Well, what's wrong with it? Rather than what we ought to be asking is what's right with it. We want to know how close to the line we can get before it's actually a problem. Some are saying even here this morning in their hearts, well, I hear what you're saying, Pastor and I wonder where that line is. Well, guess what? We're not told where that line is. But God is keeping account. The point that God is making is that since you have heard the truth of Jesus Christ, then do not reject it. Don't reject it. To illustrate that point, Jesus recalls six different cities. And he uses them as examples to show their level of exposure to the truth. And with all of these cities, the most shocking to the mind of these 70 who were sent out would be the Jewish cities. The cities who had experienced the most of Jesus Christ because Jesus is declaring a more severe judgment upon them than the Gentile cities. Notice what he says in verse 12, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. What city? The city that you go into and you proclaim the gospel and they reject you. It will be more tolerable for Sodom. So the city, by way of implication, is being compared here to Sodom. Any person who has rejected the message of the gospel is equated with that city. It is shocking to hear in our ears that Sodom will receive a lesser judgment than any city or any person who has heard the truth and rejects it. We all know what happened to Sodom. The flagrant homosexuality and self-indulgent sin of that city brought the judgment of God from heaven upon it. It was fire come down from heaven and it destroyed it and its sister city, Gomorrah. In fact, the very name of that city is even used today to describe some of the most heinous kinds of sexual activity around. And yet, here is the Lord of glory. Here is God incarnate declaring that any city, declaring that any person that rejects the gospel will face a more severe judgment than them. Shocking, sobering, the gravity of the gospel. 
And notice that Jesus doesn't stop there. He says in verse 13, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. The Old Testament cities of Tyre and Sidon are being compared with two cities in Galilee, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Chorazin was a village near Capernaum. Capernaum was the northern Galilean town where Jesus spent most of his time. In fact, he, when he was in the north, that's where he would hang out and live, in Capernaum. Bethsaida was the hometown of Peter, Andrew, and Philip. Not far from Capernaum, it was just a short distance, and so both Chorazin and Bethsaida would have been exposed over and over and over again to the ministry of Jesus Christ. They would have been exposed over and over again, understanding the kingdom has come near. Here is the Savior of the world. They would have known the message of Jesus time and time again. And so their rejection is elicited, at least the pronouncement of eternal dread. Jesus says, woe to you. Woe just simply means judgment. Judgment upon you. Why? Because, because you had so much done in your midst. The miracles that were performed in you, to say the least of the messages that you have heard, if they were performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Tyre and Sidon were to the north. Cities far north of the Sea of Galilee, up on the Phoenician coastline. They were wicked cities. They were pagan cities of whom God had pronounced judgment upon. And through Nebuchadnezzar and even Alexander the Great totally destroyed them. You can read about it in Isaiah 23 or Ezekiel 28 if you want to look at that. And yet here's Jesus saying that if the miracles that were performed in Chorazin and Bethsaida had happened in them, then those pagan wicked cities would have responded with repentance and sadness over their sin. Places that were filled to the brim with wickedness and were destroyed justifyingly by God. They would have repented if they had seen and heard what you have heard. But Jesus says, but you reject you reject the truth. It'll be worse for you in the final days. Wow. Wow, those are, those are pretty strong words from Jesus. You hear the gospel and, and you go away saying, yeah, I'm just not sure about that. I don't know. It sounds like it, but I, you know, I like my life. I'm going to live the way I live. I don't know. Maybe hell's not real. Maybe that's just a myth. Maybe that's a Greek mythology or some other foolish philosophy that men have brought up. It's just part of religion. I mean, after all, if we're just good people, we're okay. You look around you, your friends who you knew have lives that are changed. You see the miracle of new life in them. God has brought miracle after miracle after miracle before you as you see the change in lives of people who have embraced Jesus Christ. You go, yeah, but you know what? I don't know. You continue down that road until the time when you take your final breath and you don't know when that day might be. It might be this very day. It will be worse for you in the final day, Jesus says. You say, is that how the New Testament proclaims it? Well, here's how the writer of Hebrews says it. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, how much severe punishment do you think he deserves who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and had insulted the spirit of grace. That's what happens when we reject the gospel. We're insulting God. We're saying, yeah, it's not true. And so Jesus uses some of the most wicked cities of the Old Testament, Sodom and Gomorrah, two of the most greatest examples of evil even in our day. Even pagans know its reference. And yet Jesus says, yeah, you think they're bad? It'll be worse for you in the final day of judgment because you've rejected the gospel. Ah, oh, beloved, we have 
a message that's weighty. The gravity of our message is severe. And so Jesus even drives the nail even deeper into the coffin by saying in verse 15, And you, Capernaum? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, listen, yeah, I'm going to speak to you and I'm going to speak to you directly, but the sinful heart always wants to squirm itself away, distance itself from those whom Jesus might be talking to, find some way to wiggle into the corner so that Jesus might pass by, no judgment on me, and Capernaum might have been that place. People there go, yeah, well, those are those cities, but not us. And he says, and you, Capernaum, the place where he, very, where he resided in the north, you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You'll be brought down to Hades. Just like Bethsaida, just like Chorazin, pride of self has blinded you to the truth. And you, even though Jesus was there, and because Jesus was there, you'll be in hell. That's what Hades is. It's a name that just describes hell, a place of the dead. It's a place where there is no living. The living are in the glories of God. The dead are in hell. They are in a, an existence of consciousness, and yet spiritually they're fully dead. So Hades is a reference here to hell. It's the place of eternal torment. We'll see it in graphic order when we get to Luke chapter 16. Verse 23, as the rich man and Lazarus are separated by the great chasm, and the rich man is in hell. The people of Capernaum had heard the teaching of Jesus over and over and over again. They had heard it time and time again. Believe upon Jesus. Your sins are separating you from God. You need a, a Savior. Repent and believe. They heard that over and over and over again in different ways through different people. They had seen many miracles. And yet, they simply just tolerated Jesus. They didn't lash out at Jesus. They didn't do what the Jewish leadership are doing in rejection, outright full rejection of Jesus. These are just indifferent to the message of Jesus. They have had all the exposure to the gospel, but no real acceptance of it. We need to understand, beloved, this morning as we hear this the tacit comfortability they had with Jesus. Capernaum was a place where Jesus could reside. He was a place where he wasn't chased out, where rocks weren't thrown at him. It was, it was a comfortability with Jesus. They had a polite tolerance to the things of God. They had heard the gospel and they, they tolerated the gospel, even pointing out their own sin but they didn't embrace Jesus Christ by faith. And their refusal to embrace Jesus Christ by faith was an eternally damning, outright rejection of Him. And for them, the eternal consequences would be severe. No hope. No help. Only hell. You say, what's the pronouncement? Well, here it is, verse 16. The one who listens to you listens to me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. That's the pronouncement. You reject Jesus Christ, you rejected God. You reject the one who brings the gospel to you, thereby rejecting the gospel, thereby you reject Jesus, thereby you have rejected God. It is personal with God. Jesus was using places as examples. But those places are made up of individual people. 
And it's individual people whom God is calling to Himself. And so He says, the one who listens to you, the one who rejects you, the one who sent me. This is God and you. This is a, an issue between God and you. It's personal. The 70 have gone out. They're just simple representatives of Jesus Christ. We go out, we're just simply representatives of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who is speaking. And therefore, it is Jesus who people are rejecting. When they reject Jesus Christ, by rejecting the gospel, they reject God. If you will not believe the gospel, you are rejecting God. We say what Jesus says. Why Jesus is saying what the Father says. You cannot somehow have a relationship with God and not desire Jesus Christ. That is a lie. It is a lie from the pit of hell and it damns your soul to hell if you buy it. You cannot have a relationship with God without a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that relationship with Jesus Christ is known through the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. These are basic, basic truths of the Scripture. To reject Jesus is to reject God. And so to reject the gospel is to reject God And that brings wrath upon you. And so the conclusion is very clear. To accept the messengers of the message is to accept what Jesus says in person. And therefore to accept what Jesus says in person is to accept what God says. But if you reject the message, then know this, you rejected Jesus and therefore you have rejected God and what is awaiting you is the only thing that could be awaiting you and that is eternal punishment. That is the pronouncement. There is no middle ground. It is one way or the other. So, lastly, the seventh element, the priority. The priority. Notice what is said in verses 17 through 20, and the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. I find this very interesting. The 70 come back with great joy in their hearts. Lord, we've accomplished much. Lord, we went out, we did what you said, and we have been able to accomplish much. We've had great success. We're happy about the success we've had. We've counted the numbers. A lot of people have, have embraced you. Even we've had power over over the demonic realm. I mean, it's clear that we've had this power. And and Jesus even says to them, yeah, I I know. I I was watching. My omniscience was seeing it all. I was watching as Satan himself, like lightning strikes in flashes, was, was falling from heaven. In other words, the the wickedness of Satan himself was overcome and and I was drawing people to myself. I gave you authority over all those things that harm and danger, the power of the enemy. That's what he's talking about, serpents and scorpions. He's not talking about the little bugs that run around on the ground and might sting you. Over all the power of the enemy. He says, warning, warning. 
You, you went out, great things have happened, the gospel is powerful, you did what I asked, things are going on. Warning, it wasn't you. It wasn't you. Notice, I have given you authority. It's not you, so don't get prideful. Don't think you're somebody. Don't think you got some kind of special feature because somehow when you speak, people listen. It's not you. You're not somebody simply because you think you are. Wonderful. Wonderful that people believe. We rejoice in that. It's wonderful. We see that and we go, thank you, Lord, for their belief. We rejoice in that. The powers of Satan have been overcome, but it's not you. God doing it. In fact, the thing you ought to rejoice about most is that you are saved yourself. Well, you ought to rejoice about it's wonderful that the gospel goes out and we ought to be faithful to the gospel, but each and every time we share the gospel, we ought to be thanking God that He saved us. Thank you, God, that you sent a, a worker into the field and you opened my ears to hear the truth. That as much as you're doing the work now through me, and I thank you that you have made me an instrument in your hand to do your work. Thank you that, that if it was not for you, I wouldn't be an instrument at all. I'd just be going to hell. But you saved me. So don't get overly exuberant. Be sober-minded. Be thankful that God has saved you. Rejoice in that. Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. That realization, beloved, only helps us to see the lost as we ought to. Why? Because we were once there. We say it all the time, were it not for grace, there would go I. Yeah, we, 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 we say that to ourselves intellectually and it's because we believe in our heart, but, but, but I want us to internalize that. Rejoice that you're justified before God Rejoice that you're now accepted by Him as one of His children, that you are permanently so, that your name is written with unerasable ink, if you will, heavenly ink in heaven. Your name is in the book of life. That's what we ought to rejoice in because it helps us open our eyes to the lost. It helps send us right back to the beginning in verse 2 to see the world as we ought to see it. For those who are here who are not believing, I know there are. There are people here in this group who do not believe. This is a warning to you. God is warning you, we who are Believers in Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, collectively warn you, stop rejecting. Stop rejecting. Embrace the Son. Embrace Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Embrace Jesus Christ. The day of eternal punishment is coming. And the severity of that eternity is only compounded by your rejection. Today is the day of salvation. Today is that day. Beloved, this is the, this is the greatness and the gravity of our mission. Lost sinners saved by grace as instruments of God to take that message to others so that they might hear the truth and realize the mercy of God on them. Let's pray together. Father,
I'm certain in my own heart, Lord, that we could spend a year of Sundays here in this text and not exhaust the profoundness that is here. Certainly we have only scratched the surface of your heart's judgment against sin. We look in the face of our Savior and see the reality of His life and death that satisfied your outpouring of wrath. We know that in Him is life. Without Him, there is only death. Death in this life and death eternally. And so, Lord, we plead with You this morning, even through our lack of understanding, that You would move upon the hearts of those in our midst who do not know You. That You would challenge them to not leave this place, not leave right now, this moment, without repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That they might know the freedom from having a guiltless conscience before You, knowing their sin is forgiven in Christ as they turn from it, repent. And that in that matchless grace and mercy that You show, they might reflect that in their life of obedience to You from here forward. Lord, all of these young people who hear the truth in their homes, their families that are faithful to tell them about Jesus Christ, Lord, open their eyes and their ears to Christ. And all that we share the truth with, Lord, may they come to know Christ this day. Stop rejecting and embrace the Son. And you receive all the glory because it's none of us and only you. Thank you for these things. We pray them in our Savior's name, Jesus Christ, who is the power, who is the sacrifice, who is the only one who can save. His name. Amen.